Hello again. Welcome back to the Powering Payments podcast. In this series, we'll be looking into the key topics that are happening in the European payment space and how they will affect regulated financial institutions and corporates alike who are part of that payment chain, either directly or indirectly. And for those interested, cover some more granular detail around these topics. This week, we're talking specifically about instant payments. And we're joined by Arthur Cousins, Payments Project Coordinator at SADAC Banking Association from Johannesburg, and our very own resident payment expert, Yolanda Sheckermans, who's a senior product lead across our European proposition, and joining us from Belgium. Arthur, I just wanted to come to you first by way of introduction um, to get a bit of a background on yourself. Good afternoon, Andrew and uh, Yolanda and uh, team. I come from a banking background of many years. I've been based in Johannesburg uh, all my life, but uh, have traveled the globe extensively on uh, cross-border financial matters and payments uh, in general. I worked at a commercial bank in uh, South Africa for a number of years, but then was fortunate to also um, be on a number of global payments and related boards, for example, like SWIFT, uh, CLS, and the like. And so my background is primarily international banking and international trade, investment, and payments. Fantastic. It's great to have you with us. Um, I wanted to start um, off with a brief uh, childhood memory, just to introduce this concept. As a kid, I remember um, every birthday I used to get a check from my nan, um, which was probably about two pounds, worth about two pounds fifty. But that was a lot of money back in the eighties. <laughs> and uh, I, when I put the check into the bank, it would take about five days to clear, and there'd be no visibility. And I'd always be worried about where my money was. Always asking my mum where my money was. And it wasn't until it was cleared and my little red book was stamped that the anxiety about the whereabouts of my money surpassed. Uh, and now I understand that things have come an awful long way since then. And the demand for immediacy is what's driving sort of market trends, etc. Consumers and businesses operate in a world where instantaneous uh, or instant solutions are the expectation. I think now there's, you know, there's more than 50 countries globally who have implemented an instant payment scheme. But I wanted to just sort of define that a little bit and find out from you guys what, what does instant payments really mean? And how is it defined and what's being done in your in your region? Um, Arthur, I'll, I'll come to you first, if you don't mind. I prefer to use the expression uh, faster processing of payments rather than faster payments, because most payments are made electronically. And therefore, the instructions and messages move at the speed of light. So they can't move any faster. So we then have to then look at what are, what are we discussing? So what, what I feel we, we should be focusing on and discussing is how do we do quicker processing of payments, faster processing of payments of these instructions through the parties in the chain? So clearly what that suggests is we have to analyze why, and for example, the initiating uh, party takes the length of time they take from initiation by the customer to the receipt at the beneficiary at the other end. And then likewise, what happens in the chain and why is the processing at the 
the recipient's organization taking the time it takes before the, the, the client gets credited or has value of the, of the funds. And then particularly in the cross-border world, there's the extra dimension of regulation around cross-border payments where people have to do extra checks, balances, screening and processes, which add to the delays. So again, if we can analyze what those uh, issues are, we can then see how, how we, the industry, can move along to even faster processing of payments. So that's the view I've, I've always taken in this regard. Yeah, so I yeah, totally agree with Arthur that complexity uh, lies in the processing in the back offices and the handling of faster payments. The back office applications, of course, are not right now geared up to that. The definition of what instant is, of instant payments is, I think everyone agrees that it has more to do with the immediate confirmation on payments and the guarantee of the transfer. That's what the people experience as instant. The definition in market practices can also very be very different. Huh? Like uh, in the UK, when you say faster payments, really it's the SLA is shorter, but the SLA is only between the sending and receiving bank. In Europe, the SLA is a few seconds more, but the, it is more an end-to-end -end SLA from the initiator back to the beneficiary. So even there, I would say there is no consistency in what is meant with uh, faster and instant. Over time, I think that speed will further increase, even though we already have electronic payments and it is very fast, but I think it will be more on the way that Europe is doing it back and forward end to end and then increase the speed, which is only possible if the back office environment that Arthur also refers to finds the solutions uh, it needs to, to process it. So Yolanda, with your, with your focus on Europe, I think it's probably good that we start there. Considering instant payments in, this, in, in, in the European region, what do you feel are the drivers at a consumer level, corporate level and banking level for this need? Well, I think for consumers, there is just an expectation of everything being instant, like uh, in everyday life, not only in payments. We used to be very happy if a delivery, online delivery was in two days. Now we want it the same day. That also goes for payments. There is a an expectation that it's immediate, uh, that we immediately know that the money is there. It's also become a commodity. So they, there's just this expectation that it will happen. The corporates, I think, are looking for a quicker view on the finality of the payment because the quicker they have that view, the better their reconciliation, their whole business. Payments are also are not their core business, so they don't want to deal with too many hassle from that. And it gives them a good alternative method to cards without an exchange fee, exchange fee mechanism. And then, of course, also we have this rise of mobile offerings, which have an attempt to reduce cash and, and provide alternatives, although that, you know, that will take quite a long time. I think uh, the banks themselves and other regulated financial institutions are driven by those customers. If those customers demand uh, these kinds of things in this um, digital world, then that is also what they will have to provide to to be relevant in in the market. I I always see that uh, have seen that uh, SEPA Instant is an optional scheme, so it will probably go in waves. The uptake of it, 
So I think it will be somewhere in the next eight to 10 years that we will see really a full uptake of it in every aspect of the payments industry. I think, uh, I think it's fair to say across UK and Europe, we've seen quite, not aggressive, but we've seen quite a substantial move towards instant payments or, or at least some momentum towards instant payments. And I think if we, if we see instant payments as being the future, mass adoption is, is key here. So what is preventing this mass adoption or slowing it down? So what would really accelerate the take up of instant payments as it stands now, I think would be opening the market up to financial players that are not credit institutions. So something that uh, we currently don't see with the European Central Bank that does exist, for instance, uh, in uh, the Bank of England, that also has to do with uh, some particular EU regulations, uh, like the Settlement Finality Directive. While that's still in place, it's limited to certain players. And of course, some countries still see instant payments also as an additional service. So um, they either charge it or only offer it to a certain group of customers. Sometimes even within one country, banks make different decisions about that. So that's not helping the full uptake, I would say. If you look at, for instance, the Dutch market, they took a very different approach. They just immediately said, instant is going to be the new normal. And we're going to take it up maybe a little later than uh, when it came out through the EPC. But they had a sort of no man left behind attitude and said, we're going to organize it for the full community, make sure that the bigger and smaller banks can join. They know it's a domestic scheme, so there's less hassle with uh, sanctions or uh, any other kind of screening you need to do. So they immediately went for a higher speed, no amount, and then to help also the smaller organizations that maybe do not a lot of uh, payments or, or don't have that customer uh, need, they made a differentiation between two uh, different types of instant payments. They made sure that that instant was going to be the new normal from day one. Mm -hmm. So different approaches, uh, I would say, if everyone would have the same approach, then that of course would help in accelerating it. So creating sort of that consistency of approach would would increase adoption. Arthur, do you, do you, would you agree there, or is that do you see it slightly differently? Yes, no, no, I see it. Um, now, all, all the points uh, Yolanda's made are, are, are well made. Uh, mine might be a little bit sounding a bit more cynical, but uh, what often happens is because we have legacy processes, le legacy systems, one finds that uh, often inefficiency often creates opportunity for revenue. For example, um, sometimes if you're not that efficient uh, or if you become too efficient, you could actually end up losing uh, revenue. So payments in a chain sometimes, because of the inefficiency, creates float. And float equals interest that you're going to earn. Mm -hmm. So if the more efficient you get the, the, and the more you squeeze on the, the float, the less uh, revenue you may get uh, in that regard because at the same time you've got to keep your fees for the payments fairly flat or, or, or low and then because of the le legacy case uh, situation there's the business case issue we have to invest spend lots of time effort and money on uh, streamlining things and will that investment cost equate to an additional amount of revenue 
that we could uh, source from additional business. And that's not always a, a clear and, and open case. Uh, then the other, the other aspect that often is thrown back at us is the point that uh, Yolanda made, and that is uh, market demand. So clearly, there's always a demand from the receiver to receive a payment urgently and, and immediately. But not always the case with the person who has to pay the, uh, the make the payment to the to the beneficiary. So again, you have to you have to balance that out. And then getting back to my hobby horse, the uh, cross border side. Clearly, um, it's the regulatory aspects that have to be streamlined by the regulators to uh, enable things to be transacted more smoothly and increase the uptake of past payment processing. And these global organizations like the Financial Stability Board and Bank of International System, who are now actively working on a program to see how they can streamline things. So let's hold thumbs and <laughs> <get> results. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So I, I, I think it's probably worth digging into a bit more detail about the instant payment model itself. I mean, look, if we look at Europe as an example, again, their instant system works with a pre-funded model. And I'm wondering how do we prevent a situation where participants are not overfunding and have a system where this is managed on an ongoing basis. Yeah, so just for clarity, who's not uh, familiar with this system, uh, in SEPA Instant, the uh, settlement account needs to hold funds for in order for you to do any payments. If the funds are not there, the instructions actually get rejected. And there's a lot of systems where there's a settlement account and you need to, on each cycle, make sure that there's money there. In uh, the SEPA instance scheme, if the, if the funds are not available, your payments get rejected. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, really a recurring discussion that we have with new participants to our business also when they enter into SEPA instant on how to handle that. So they're not necessarily used to or their back office systems are not used to dealing with their uh, liquidity continuously. And so what we see is that newcomers to the SEPA instance scheme tend to overfund just to de-risk also on, for instance, the weekends and and any holidays, because even though SEPA Instant is 24-7, 365, uh, Target 2 is not. And so for the time being, people still need to deal with that also. So that requires a look into uh, your liquidity management and your treasury handling in your back offices again. Uh, to make sure you know how to handle that and to to keep uh, your eye on that continuously. Things are changing slightly because I can see that some of the regional providers are looking into providing a, a single view on all the different accounts so people have a better view on where their liquidity is and how they can move it. And of course, also next year, Everyone that's part of the SEPA instance environment needs to hold also a, an account with uh, tips. So it needs to be reachable via tips. That actually takes away that pain that now exists where Target 2 is not 24-7, 365, where there's a split between central bank and commercial money that will disappear. So that should make it a little easier to do, but that actually changes it on the central bank side, it still means that in your back office treasury applications, you need to be really aware of 
of your funding. And Arthur, what's your standpoint on, on this particular topic? We would like down here to get to the situation that uh, Europe is already working on with allowing parties in TIPS. It's almost like a sub-account system. Yes. We, we have a master and uh, subsidiaries working under it. We're a long way from that, but are keeping an eagle eye on what you're doing there because it is something that can assist players who are not commercial banks today to also settle seamlessly and efficiently and quickly by having those sub-accounts uh, under a mothership in uh, what you're doing in uh, TIPS in, in Europe. So, so we, we welcome what you're doing mm. uh, because um, it will definitely uh, smarten things up and streamline them. It comes back again to what we were talking about with regulation and, and adoption and that consistency of, of process. I think that's, that's key here. All schemes will need to have consistent processes across the board in order to create mass adoption and to create a, a, a global norm. So on that topic, what are, the, what are the potential additional impacts on back office processes within a bank? For example, sanctions, AML, liquidity for entering the, the instant market. How are these challenges overcome? Yeah, so, so Andrew, those are the main regulatory issues we have in the cross-border world that have to be refined and we have to have the regulator community working with us because what you find today is the banks have been fined so heavily for not doing these things properly. So they err on it's an all or nothing situation when in fact they could working under suitable guidelines and regulatory expectations and on a risk-based approach based on the value of the payments and the other associated risks with it, introduce more streamlined compliance with regulations. So if we can bring that about, we can then have uh, less back office uh, processing complexity and speeding up of the, the transactions through the through the, the pipeline. Yeah, um, agree with what Arthur is saying. I, 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 you can see that uh, most of the systems uh, that uh, institutions work with are, of course, legacy systems that are based off batch processing, and that all these regulatory checks that they that they need to follow happen are processed and done in flight of the payment. There's there's less sense of this urgency. And they're not geared up to do this at the speed that would be required with instant payments if they want to actually give this, de-risk it in the same way. And then on top of that, of course, some of these payments are foreign origin, so one lakh payments, or there's FX deals involved, which then added risk to it. It's, it, it remains a problem. I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity for providers uh, of these kinds of systems that support compliance to regulation to uh, really also use the modern technology to optimize these, these things. Um, the EPC, the European Payments Council, has provided some guidelines on how to do this for instant payments, but it's mainly for incoming payments. 
where of course the, it, there's less of a complexity if you go cross-border. It's about what you send out and whether you've done your sanction screening and your KYC and so on, uh, especially uh, in the SLA that is in, in, in SEPA instant where you have to put the money within a certain timeline into the, the beneficiary account. I think there's a real need to enhance these processes knowing that that's a constant way of, of course, between efficiency and risk. We touched on this previously when we talked about adoption, focusing on separate incident in, in Europe. The target two system is limited only to credit institutions. There's obviously been some, some information that's come out recently, but can we see the logic in this or would a more liberal approach like the Bank of England has to regulated entities be more preferable? Yeah, we for sure see it. Ah, also, uh, from what we are doing as Forum 3, I think there's a lot of regulated financial institutions out there that also have a lot of payments volume, have to adhere to the same kind of regulations that are now excluded out of this uh, eco landscape uh, for direct participation. That is actually due to the finality of settlements directive that mentions explicitly credit institutions. That means that uh, regulated PSPs cannot become a direct member to any ACH because they cannot open a Target 2 account and cannot settle themselves. So, so this is really a regulatory issue. I think the directive is from 2008. So I think, you know, maybe time to review that. Uh, and that actually is also what they're going to do. So there is the new retail payments strategy for the EU in which the mention is also of a review of this directive. It doesn't give me a timeline yet, uh, but uh, yeah, fingers crossed that they wake up to the possibilities of that, because otherwise it means that large players that are not credit institutions have to rely on other banks, which is just not efficient nowadays. Um, the Bank of England uh, um, was a bit of a front runner here because they saw this opportunity and, and opened up uh, quite early on for FPS. And you can see the success with the number of financial institutions that have signed up and that they deliver the same quality of service with it. So I think, yeah, based off the G20 priority that looks at enhancing uh, cross-border payments also, uh, which is also part of that same uh, retail uh, strategy, I think we will be opening up to other players and I think the, the market will be better for it. Right. I think we, 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 we're a bit more fortunate and we, we're roughly halfway there. So in the SEDEC cross-border world, we make no distinction between a bank, and we'll call them a non-bank financial institution, provided they meet certain criteria and they are authorized by their central bank regulator to participate in the scheme. So they can clear between each other day in and day out. And so that's not, not an issue. But when it comes to the daily settlement of uh, obligations, uh, they unfortunately still need to have a bank to settle or, on their behalf or sponsor them. But the central banks are aware of this, are working with us, so that we could then get to that next level that you've got in TIPS, where we can have these uh, participants also settling their transactions. And yes, they will have the challenge of uh, not overfunding, but it's a nice challenge for them to have at least because then uh, 
they, they get all the other benefits. So we, I would say, are halfway there, but it's accepted that these are key players because in Africa, as you may well know, it's the non-bank, like the mobile network operators, you've heard of Impesa and all those guys. They own the business. They've taken the business away from most of the banks. So we've accommodated them in the, in the scheme, but we just have to solve the settlement problem uh, like you're going to try and do in, in Europe as well. So comparatively then, Yolanda, what, what Arthur's just described um, in, in terms of Form 3, would that, would that be what we would classify as direct non-settling participant model? Yeah, that's, that's basically it. Huh? So there's, I would say, like technically a non-credit institution experiences the instant payments, but they need a settlement partner to hold the settlement account with uh, Target 2. Yeah, that's exactly that model. Mm -hmm. And that okay. you see everywhere, actually, that there's that's seen as a solution for non-credit institutions. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we're hoping that that's a temporary solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when we talk about adoption of new processes and technology, clearly there is some momentum in Europe and the UK and the SUDEC region for faster payments. What does the landscape look like globally for appetite to migrate to faster payments? So down our part of the woods, we have in South Africa itself a, a real-time clearing system or systems for both high-value and low-value uh, transfers uh, within within the country. Um, and then most of the other countries in, in our part of the region, which comprises of 16 countries, also have real-time growth settlement systems for high-value payments, but nothing much in place for retail payments. And then from a regional perspective, we've also created a high value uh, real-time growth settlement system across the region, as well as an sort of instant clearing of payments infrastructure for retail transactions. Now, with that in place in the region, we are receiving a number of approaches from entities outside of the region and we've also had chats to people in the UK, and I'm, I'm differentiating. It's the UK and Europe, because it used to be one at uh, one time. Now we, you're UK <laughs> and Europe, as well as other areas, to see how we can link in to the schemes that they have, and they with us, and then have some kind of bridging arrangement for transactions between schemes. So, uh, and working again with the, the regulators to iron out any regulatory issues that may hamper that kind of uh, wider usage of these payment schemes between regions, countries, and Europe, for example, US, for example, and ourselves. So a lot on the drawing board, but we, we have to still work actively at uh, endeavoring to bring that about. There is a global trend for instant payments. I mean, you can pull up a map and see it's really on all continents. I think instant payments will also open up the market for the non-traditional players that they, they clearly fits them well. Uh, and it also fits with the overall social and economic trends. As with uh, any market practice, uh, though, I would say that full uptake uh, normally follows and coincides with uh, regulatory changes. That's really always a big push for any new market practice. So I think over time we will see 
instantly become the new normal if uh, if everything falls into place yeah and you mentioned there quite rightly economic trends would appear are driving this need or movement towards instant payments does does that mean that anything non-instant will automatically disappear uh, or do you think there's still a place for the legacy payment methods like BACS or SCT, for example? Depending a bit on the per country, maybe. But uh, I think, yeah, the need for traditional payments, also seeing payments, uh, including uh, SEPA direct debit, for instance, right? Uh, the need for these traditional payments will become less important when instant grows. But they will not uh, become obsolete or disappear overnight. Also in the new uh, strategy for retail, you can see that they also cater still for solutions for cash and availability of cash. Because you need to also take into account everyone that lives in your society. And there's just different needs. There will certainly be a modernization of these legacy payment types. So maybe it will come closer to the instant payments uh, schemes itself already and uh, also take advances of new technologies to also respond or have more information about payments quicker. Uh, that's what you see a bit with requests to pay. So they may serve the same, but uh, also be faster in nature. Yeah, so they will, uh, of course, these traditional uh, uh, payment types will also benefit from the new technology that will be introduced because of instant payments, if we are looking at uh, the regulatory checks and so on. It's certainly going to be some transferable technology elements that can benefit different uh, different parts of the, yeah, the payment chain, for sure. Arthur, how about yourself? I agree fully with uh, what Yolanda has just uh, indicated. And I think we, we still will deal with legacy and we will still depend on the initiating organizations' processing capabilities. So, for example, large corporates that have these monthly payroll runs or annual payroll runs or whenever they pay out dividend, all that sort of stuff. So you've got to get those re-engineered considerably you also have government payments, which are large batch-based payments, and their procurement uh, inf infrastructure systems and payrolls. So until you re-engineer the initiating parties processing, we are likely still to see uh, some of the traditional payment uh, methods, as Yolanda mentioned, uh, needed for some time to come still. But uh, eventually, uh, who knows? But uh, that's where a lot of focus needs to be brought to bear on the initiating organizations processing outside of the financial world, because the banks are going to be doing their stuff as we, we've been speaking. But we also need the initiating organizations to re-engineer their side of things as well. And that, I guess, brings us to the end of our, of our discussion. Um, I think it's fair to say that instant payments are, are coming. So, so watch this space. Arthur, thank you very much for joining us. And, and thank you for sharing your knowledge. Uh, it's been great having you on. There will be also a, a supporting blog that will be released over the coming days. So please keep an eye out for that. Thank you all for listening. If you want to hear more about Payments Insights, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. If you want to get involved with a podcast or Form 3, search for us on social media or send us an email.
Thank you very much. If you would like to hear more about Payments Insights, then please subscribe for the next episode. See you next time.